With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis with outstanding tennis journalist Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. And we are well underway in London, ATP Finals. And two of our three, the only two playing, have uh, each taken losses here. So we want to parse what happened in those matches. Both of them were, uh, were, were the second matches that Djokovic and Nadal played, respectively. Djokovic lost uh, 6-3, 6-3 yesterday to Daniil Medvedev. Rafa Nadal lost 7-6, 7-6 to Dominic Team. So let's go in chronological order. Start with team. Joel, you covered this one for tennis.com. Uh, this was w- w- probably one of the best matches we've seen of the year. Are you are you with me on that? Absolutely. It's great quality. It was kind of the case for uh, underplaying. I mean, these guys have played probably half as much tennis as they usually play coming into this event. And they're just outstanding rallies and intensity and energy, all sorts of great shot making. Yeah, I mean when these two play, it's such a slugfest and we're starting to get these consistently unbelievable battles. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good thing that um, it's half as much tennis as they had normally played at this point in the year. Maybe that's why we got such a phenomenal match. Just a thought. Oh no, absolutely. That gets to your, the points raised about calendar reform and maybe the need to have the season, maybe not half as long, half as many matches, but something to that because there was a freshness that they each have. Not, not that people have staggered at this tournament. I mean, I think this tournament lends itself to some very high quality tennis. It's indoors. It's just these eight people. There are no dangerous floaters. They know each other. And team and Nadal, that was one of those uh, mini cult masterpieces. I mean, it's not going to be an all-time great match. It wasn't at a major. And it's not a, it's not like the five-setter they had at the Open a couple of years ago. But still, uh, a lot of great shots. Team came up with a lot of big shots. Nadal serving at 5-2 in the first set tiebreak. And uh, guys in that first set tiebreak, neither the server was holding serve a lot. There's some really interesting uh, points. And, and Team, I mean, he swings big on big points down. He goes after the shot he needs to take. And maybe he's a little bit of, the, of a child of the big three who's seen, if you want to beat these guys, you better bring something, right? You best bring a gun. I mean, and he really swings after it. And uh, Nadal was a little uh, confounded by it all. I mean, well, I think- team is playing with a lot of confidence now that he has the Grand Slam under his belt, right? He's no longer um, maybe so much in awe and he's got a little bit of swagger. He can swing free. I mean, imagine if you had that big pressure build and then you finally got, you finally broke through. It's just going to allow you to swing that much freer. Yeah. Yeah, But you know, this was really similar to when, when team and Djokovic played in the Australian open and that was three tie breaks in that match team won all three of them. It was the difference in the match. There was nothing between those two until the big moments. And then team was the better of the two. The same thing happened here. And Dominic team is 10 and one in 2020 against tie breaks against top 10 players. 
Wow, that's an amazing stat. Um, I think Nadal, when it comes to hard court, is going to have to do a little bit more homework, especially when it comes to getting into team serve. I think he's going to have to be smarter about his return position. We know that he's got it down cold on clay, right? But on hard court, um, he's going to have to really look into the numbers and perhaps vary it up a little bit in different situations. Well, it's so interesting. Also, indoor hard, Nadal has won one tournament there in his career. Not that he's terrible. It's just that I think the things that upsize him are diminished and the other players feel they can swing more freely and go for their shots more. And team who's, who, of course, beat him in Australia also. I mean, this tiebreak mastery is, uh, is quite impressive. I mean, team has a, a neat, versatile game. He's fit. He can, he's willing to strike big off both sides. I mean, I think he's really impressive and it's also like amy said he, he's gone from the contender and waiting to now he's delivered so now he has this period and he'll probably have another another 18 months before we start running okay where's the second one you know and then it's kind of like the it's like yeah. after going to the dentist and so the uh, the tartar accumulates but uh <laughs> yeah. at first right now he's got a clean set of teeth he's swinging great i mean it's just i really like watching dominic team play and him versus nadal that's a really exciting matchup just so many great rallies so much court coverage uh you know Nadal obviously trying to do things with the forehand but oh and, and team at one point he even hit a um an old school slice backhand passing shot cross court that looked like something out of Ken Rosewall he came up with that I mean just some remarkable on a big point on, on a big, big point he ended up breaking in that game right that's right that was the fourth three second set and the, the amazing thing about Nadal he really personifies that concept beware of the wounded bear because most people, you win the first set against them, you know, there's going to be at least a little lag that might make a guy break open the match. I mean, how many times do we see a 7-6-6-3? And with Dell, zero. None of that. In a way, to get to the, uh, our recreational lesson, that's a great lesson. That has nothing to do with technique. That's just about attitude. That's a really interesting thing about Nadal. That's kind of a things you can learn from the pros that have nothing to do with hip turns or torquing or footwork or fitness or weight training. It just has to do with attitude. It reminds me of uh, Navratilova once told me once, she said, there are two things you can control in tennis, your toss and your attitude. And Nadal is just so good at that. That's a great one. I, I want to bounce, bounce this theory off, off of you both about Dominic team, which I, I did so on Twitter as well with the caveat that consistency is very important for my money. At the peak of his powers, if he is redlining, if he is not making any mistakes, Dominic Team's best level is actually the best in the world in 2020. Well, is the other guy redlining? <laughs> like, it, oh, yes. is, is, is Nadal redlining on clay? Then no. <laughs> is, uh, is Novak redlining at the Australian Open? Then no. Um, um, I don't know. I, I think it's it's remains to be seen, but I'm not even sure the team is so good. It's hard to know when he is redlining because he's so consistent and he's just such he, he's got the power. He's got the, the smarts. He's got the court awareness. Um, he is 
very good. And I think our big three, like I said before, they're going to have to step it up in terms of the homework that they're doing um, on this guy. And they're going to need to look for the little subtleties in his game. Where is he serving uh, when it's 40-15? You know, is, is he going out wide more? You know, learn his little tricks and tendencies. And they're going to have to focus in on this guy. Yeah, it's interesting to see as he's ascending just how good he can really be. And that's, I think, what's exciting about someone like that. And the redlining, I mean, the, the Novak, the lat, I'm thinking of a great Novak performance, and that would probably be the 2019 Aussie versus Rafa when he beat him that day in straight sets. So it's called this, you know, it's so tough to tell. This game doesn't occur in a vacuum. So you don't know, and there's so much with matchups. But team is, uh, wow, he plays some very exciting tennis and of course because it's new that's exciting too i mean the other guys are great nadal showed something incredibly new and amazing when he won the 13th french the way he did but novak we're kind of we're kind of gotten used to an acceptable mainstream of excellence from novak i'm not saying we're taking it for granted but it's so it's so up there all the time i mean we should see this week in london but really the next big thing for novak is going to be what we see at the australian open yeah, and just to clarify, best of five sets on a clay court, French Open conditions. I do think Nadal's best beats anyone in the world, no doubt about it. I just think in most conditions over the course of the calendar year, and grass is also a huge question mark, I actually think that, again, Dominic Team at the peak of his powers, which doesn't always happen, that's not the reality of tennis. I just think he's such a problem and the most explosive player on tour at this point, because you know, he's, he's in the, he's in his prime. He now has a really big serve. He hits massive from both wings. His movement is right up there with everyone. So is his fitness. If he's, if he's putting, you know, all the balls in the court, I just think it's an overwhelming task to try to beat team at his best. That is, well, of course it is no question. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be, he's going to finish the year rank three in the world. I mean, yeah. I actually, so the match, so the match we're looking to see when we think about team, since we've, we've seen him with, uh, with Djokovic, we've seen Nadal play this year. We want to see like a team Federer something somewhere. That's going to be an interesting thing to see when Roger returns and where he is physically and then having to grapple with team because team is in this ascent and Roger's been in exile. So that's going to be an intriguing matchup and team has beaten him. He's beaten him on multiple surfaces. Mm -hmm. First big win of team's career, Indian Wells final on a hard court against Federer. Yeah, that was memorable. Um, but, you know, back to the, the Rafa match, remember that the way that Rafa plays one-handed backhands typically is to the backhand, to the backhand, to the backhand. We know that because he wrote that in his book about how he plays Federer and to have that discipline always to the backhand. It doesn't work against team, uh, at least not right now, um, because he can just, the power that he has on that wing and the consistency, um, he's going to have to figure out some different tactics. Well, you well, definitely don't want to hit it to the game. forehand. Well, that's the great thing about the game. <laughs> it's that a guy like... Nadal, who built his game a lot of ways beating these one-handers, and Roger had to upgrade his. So team is coming of age, and he's seeing, look what Rafa's doing to these one-handed backhands. Look what Rafa's doing to these one-handed I got to get, mine's got to be really, really good. And that's the great thing about competition and how one style creates a problem that another has to answer and, and grapple with you. That's right. And so, and Nadal, when he's seeing it, it's not working, going to the 
backhands, then he's got to figure out to go to the forehands. I mean, and that's the thing he's been doing for 10 years too, as he did with Novak. Yeah, team is probably the toughest one-hander Rafa has ever faced consistently. I'm not just talking about the, the resurgent Roger of the big racket and the take it on the rise that we've seen the last uh, three or four years. Because for most of his career, because for most of his career, Nadal has had his way with Federer in the cross-court rallies. It's just the more recent period. So team though is like, wow, this guy's doing this from the start. You know, and he hits these, the down the line backhands, unbelievable, and the cross court. It's just a remarkable shot. So Gil, just to answer your question, um, first of all, little, little known tidbit here is that a lot of the scouting on the top men in the world is actually to go to their forehand, believe it or not, because I'm not really sure why, but a lot of players on tour, uh, that stroke will, will break down quicker in terms of errors than the backhand. The backhand is more consistent. I don't know if that's the case against team, but if you go through it and you're finding that the guy doesn't make errors on either wing, then you're going to have to combo it. You'll have to come up with the twice to the backhand, once to the forehand, and even even more minute than that, specific zones within those zones. Um, but everybody has a spot, a weak spot, where they will break down. For sure. The, the forehand thing, and I know some of the, that data, and I, yeah, about that with the forehand, that's really interesting, is that the, uh, this gets back to some basic instructional stuff. When you learn the game and progress from just hacking forehands, you learn that the backhand has a soundness to it, whether it's the one-hander or the two-hander. The two-hander, you've got both hands. The one-hander, you're kind of inside the body and out. It's, there's a reliability to the backhand. The backhand is, is rarely the Maserati. The backhand is rarely determined. I mean, and team will be the first one to tell you that his forehand is the better shot. That's the, that's the winning shot. But the forehand can be a little, can misbehave more. I mean, I think there's kind of a, um, there's kind of a humbleness people bring to their backhands that's mechanically sound. You got to turn. You can get lazy on the forehand, and because you can, even the pros do, and even they sometimes break down. They're they're too flat. They're short. There's just a there's a stability to the mechanics of the backhand, whether it's a one-hander or a two-hander, that allows us to stay steady with the backhand. But the forehand has a dynamic thing. So the forehand the forehand is more is more um yeah is more lively. You know, it's more like you got to be like a little more of a lion tamer. With, with the forehands, but that can, that can go off. So how you break that, I, I think that's really, that's really a fascinating part of the game. And to see how these matchups play out, particularly among the pros is really fascinating, whether it's combinations or down the line or even coming to the net, all that kind of stuff. Well, sometimes team will overhit on his, on his forehand. Um, and Joel, I think shot selection plays into the point you were just making is people, some will just, if you have as big a forehand as team does, Sometimes he doesn't feel like he needs to do as much on the backhand. Uh, but I, I also think two points on, on the team backhand. One, I think Nadal's most successful play against team uh, when they've played at the French and then even in their match, it was 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six, Nadal had plenty of success. When he gets team to go to the slice because he stretched him out wide and then uh, Nadal can charge the net. He knows that ball is going to float and then Nadal – volleyed brilliantly in that match. So I thought that was the most successful pattern that Nadal had. In the first had. set, Nadal was uh, 14 of 20 at the net. Yep. Um, I think he needs to do that more. It's just kind of the whole, 
the Rafa net rushing, how would I put it? The Rafa net rushing paradox in that he's, he, he's good when he gets there, but it's not something he doesn't, I don't think he thinks of it as an A tactic. I think he thinks of it as a, as a B plus tactic and therefore to do it too much gets him a little, a little out of his tempo range. And so it's, he likes to do it as a variation. It's like a football quarterback. I don't want to have to throw that receiver all the time. And he does it. And he, cause Nadal, you know, and you see, even in the um, near the end of the match, he missed a very easy overhead that brought him down match point in the, yeah. in the second sets. Though he made, he fought one off with a great forehand drop volley. But I think there's still a part of him, and this gets the development cycle that sees that stuff as like extra, you know, not in his operating system, even though he's good at them. But like his, so it, so the volley for him, you know, he's wondering, God, how many how many good volleys am I going to be able to hit today? as opposed to some other players who feel they can hit an infinite amount of those. He should have stuck with it in the second set, I think. Well, I agree. Are you with me on that? Okay. Another I never met someone to come to net less. Yeah. And Joel, I think you would have liked how um, team a la Federer was taking that backhand on the rise and cutting Absolutely. it off when Nadal was going cross court. Um, and, and I thought that was really impressive and effective from team. Well, that's, that's the shot that gets to Amy's point about how the one-hander teams, one-hander can blunt it. The team possesses the shot that Roger has trotted out in the last few years. You know, Roger trotted out the on the rise, take the backhand on the rise, big head of racket. This is more in teams operating system. You know, he, he, he built this early and young and he, and he goes after it. So their, their matchup, yeah, their matchup is fascinating. It is. I think, I think that's also though, I think team has really worked on that. I think if you pull up footage of a 22 year old Dominic team, it's more often than not could be seven, eight feet behind the baseline wailing away. I agree. He, he's, well, this is what's made him a, this was made his first hardcore, his first slam, a hardcore tournament. And he'd won Indian Wells. I mean, obviously this is a guy who can play on every possible surface. I guess we'll be curious to see how it works for its grass, which is different grass than it used to be, but still. How that plays. He has a great serve. There, there is no reason why he shouldn't be able to play well on grass. Well, that kick return. Great. He he needs to return better. Yeah. That, to me, is that that's that's the grass problem. That's yeah. Right, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get to someone who returns very very well. Novak Djokovic. Uh, that's a transition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He lost. He, lo he lost six three six three. Daniil Medvedev. Amy, uh, were you surprised by by this result? Nothing that has happened with him in 2020 is going to surprise me anymore. I mean, you know, just the, the Gil, you were the one that sent me the text or, or whatever that said, can you believe this? Novak just said this in a press conference. He's now saying that he favors best of three, even in slams. Um, or somehow he's back in the mix on the ATP player council, you know, just just when you think, okay, you know, everything's going to go normal with him for the rest of the year, and then he'll start 2021 back where he should be in his rightful place at the top of the game. It's just been a crazy off-balance year for him, and this match against Medvedev was no exception to that. Yeah, I, I thought that, I think, I, I really thought that Medvedev kind of wanted it more. And that's how the match played out. Uh, if Novak was going to win this one, it was going to take a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. First seven games of the match, they're playing these brutal marathon rallies. And both of their lungs must have felt like tar 
And Djokovic was the first player to decide, you know what, I'm done here. I, yeah. I can't, I can't continue like this. And I, he, it did, it right? did seem to me that Novak was gassed or he didn't have the legs that did occur to me. And it, it's, it was hard to discern. Was it a mental fatigue thing or physically was he just not all there? And also it seems that uh, maybe Medvedev wants to make a little statement this time of year. He wins Paris. He's, he's aware that, Hey, wait a second. He was, we thought he was the heir apparent and then Dominic wins the U S open. And what about me? I'm Medvedev. You guys thought I was the greatest thing when I almost beat Rafa at the U S open last year. And now what's going on. I think he wants to make a little, little statement for himself and his, you know, he's such a, such a great player and, uh, some really interesting matchups, but yeah, I think he just, okay. All right, Novak, here I am. I'm going to stick in this match. I've beaten you before. And, you know, and Medvedev we know is a rough, rough customer. They're both. I don't know. You guys are giving Medvedev a lot of credit. My take on it was, you know, and I, I love Medvedev who doesn't. Um, my take on it was his attitude was kind of like, okay, Novak's not, not bringing his best today. It's there for the taking. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and take it, but it wasn't like, Ooh, I got to have this, you know, this will be the conquering no. of Rome or, or anything I'm not like thinking that. About the match. I'm not thinking about the match. I'm thinking about this tournament, this season, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, you look at the tennis year as this series of plot points and here Medvedev who did not win the U S open and lost a team in the semis and Medvedev wants to make a little statement himself, not, not just in the match versus Novak, but in the year overall, don't forget me. I'm a contender. I'm beating, mm -hmm. I'm winning Paris. Maybe I can win this London. You know, I'm playing London for the second time and the second, and sometimes the second time a guy plays that year end, he does better. But these and, conditions are great for him as well. It's not, right? I think that right. should be taken into account as well. That indoor hardcourt is really where I would put Medvedev if I want to see him have the most success. Kind of slow and low. Exactly. Slow and low is right. And he, he wants to serve great. And I think the indoor no wind, uh, mm -hmm. you know, nice, easy toss that's not going to be flying on you is also a big help. Does that qualify as a prediction, Gil? Are you making a prediction for this tournament? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not, not quite. Uh, I, however, you know, he is. Mm, I really like him and team. But of yeah. course, they're the two 2-0 two and o players. So it's very easy to say that. It's not. Yeah. I'm not going out on a limb there. Yeah. Actually, no, team lost this morning. Excuse me. Yeah. Two and one. Um, it, it did seem to me, though, that both of these players move so well. They are so consistent when they want to be. Their defense is so good that they really struggle to finish the points against each other. So it just turns into these brutal marathons, and it becomes yeah. so mental. It come, becomes, you know – how how much are you willing to suffer? Djokovic had a win under his belt. It's the you know it's the end of the season. Who knows if he's even in his peak physical condition of where he would be uh, in a in a regular season during the you know swing of the summer during you know the majors and French Open, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open. And I just felt like he he just gave up on the game plan. He wasn't willing to do what Medvedev would have asked him to do in order to win the match. Hmm. Yeah, I would, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty keen analysis. I mean, again, that's kind of hunkers down at the baseline. It's almost like a old school clay court match indoors. 
Yeah, I mean, I it's just for me that kind of a match is frustrating because it's it's kind of like, well, if somebody would just run a play that finishes at the net, then we wouldn't have to torture ourselves this way. But other people, a lot of fans out there love to see baseline battle, brutal baseline battle, point after point after point. Well, right, I again, agree with you. the development cycle of how these guys built their games and they kind of hunkered down at the core and these probably these guys played numerous matches without ever hitting a volley. And yeah, it's kind of interesting how you see all these styles, I guess. You know, again, Medvedev is such an intriguing mix of, of tactical skill and technical, some technical genius and some technical gaps, but Novak doesn't, didn't entirely exploit them because that's not his deal either. So Medvedev probably feels comfortable. It's, it's so interesting how matchups work. Yeah, and you remember when Nadal played Med Medvedev in the 2019 U.S. Open final, the person that was willing to venture into the net, Nadal, was the one who came out on top. So, yeah, you know, Novak, I, I know that this is kind of like, it's not a slam, so he'll take this loss in stride. But if he does have Medvedev in his side of the draw for AO, he needs to go back and watch that match. That's what Amy, I would do. <laughs> you, you are, you're so right about this. There was one way where Novak could have effectively finished these points and it was, it was going to be net rushing. And instead what he went to is the drop shot time and time again, when he was like, gee, I I'm done with this cross court backhand rally just goes to mm -hmm. the backhand drop shot down the line. And it was not working because Medvedev was on it and he was so quick around the court. Going to the net is a great play against Daniil because he has these flat strokes. So the ball stays higher up above the net and he doesn't hit that sharp cross court angle. Like if you went to the net against Rafa Nadal, the mm -hmm. kind of angles that forehand. he would hit. Nadal's forehand. Nadal's yeah. forehand. I just think though, I think Novak, again, it's interesting about our three and how they approach these tactics. And I think Novak has, he came up to net on a few points in that Australian Open Finals, we recall, against team, and that helps him. But it's still, I said earlier how it's an incidental tactic for Nadal. I think it's even more of an incidental tactic for Novak. I think yeah. Novak, when it comes to him, he makes Nadal look like Patrick Rafter. I mean, uh, and I just think Novak doesn't like having to hit repeated volleys over the course of a match. I mean, it doesn't seem that comfortable technically. I mean, he could... The, it's, it's like when I watch him line up for a volley or an overhead, I say, okay, steady, easy, got it, good, you're a pro, you're a pro, you can do these things. But there's something that doesn't fill me with like thinking, yeah, he's loving doing this and he's great, but it's not quite his, I mean, there's something so, he's structured that way. And yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, and the, the overhead broke Djokovic's will ultimately at this three-all game in the first set was a marathon game and Novak's down break point and he has an overhead and he just doesn't finish it. It's up the middle, medium pace, didn't finish the overhead. Medvedev comes back and wins the point and the match was never the same after that one point. Well, remember the French Open final where Nadal early on hit some lobs. I mean, look, it's, it's strange to say that someone like Djokovic who has a strong chance of winning more majors than anyone ever. That his overhead is a little bit like, uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal at the free throw line, or right? Like it's like, wow, that's kind of intriguing. I, I, I don't fully understand that among pro players. That shot. It's strange. That's the free throw of tennis. Yeah. 
when it comes to Novak's volleying, I just think it's one of the reasons that Medvedev is such a tough matchup for him. And I just think it's, it's really one of those scenarios where, you know, styles make fights is the saying in combat sports. And the same is true in tennis. And, you know, if you look at Nadal's head to head against Medvedev and Djokovic's head to head against Medvedev, I just think it's a tougher matchup for Djokovic because the ways that you need to finish points against Daniil are ways that mm -hmm. Novak does not prefer to finish points. He wants to rally with you backhand to backhand and find that short ball, that opening, and then, you know, either hit, hit a big forehand and finish in two shots or maybe redirect the backhand down the line. And against Medvedev, it's like the, the meme of Spider-Man pointing at each other because they're going back and forth and it's like, Hey, why am I not making any progress hitting cross court backhands? This is weird. Yeah. And so it, rather than him come into the net himself or design a play that will elicit a short ball an approach that will bring him into the net, Novak prefers to bring the other guy into the net with a drop shot. And for Danil, that's two steps and he's there. So six, it's just, six? yeah, it's just, and he moves well, a six, six guy who moves well and has long legs. That's just not effective. And he kind of likes some of those kind of points measured because he kind of likes it. There's a bit of a public parks improv quality to the way he <laughs> builds points that's kind of, um, parks he and rec. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you want to, you want to hit, you want to drop shot me? Okay. I'll do that. And, you know, I mean, I've seen Medvedev at the net hit some, uh, remarkably, non-aesthetic yet effective volleys it's like what was that and yet he's kind of there he likes the improv and i think i think when it comes to someone as, as great a ground stroker as novak coming to net he's not always as comfortable doing that whole improv transition thing i mean he's skilled he's competent i mean his ground strokes i mean he hit he has those are great approach shots the kind of shots he comes in they're so deep and low but it, it, and then he has the drop shot so we can see we can just see how he, what, innovates and rounds out his game in the years to come, too, because people are aware of Novak. There's going to be, uh, maybe there'll be more Medvedevs. Just like Nadal, team has posed more of these questions than Nadal. People are going to be posing more questions to Novak. And I'm, I can't wait to see how he adjusts that because he's, he's proven adaptable in his career. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I think he, of the three, I believe that Novak is one of the more adaptable. So if he needs to work on that aspect of his game, he will. I agree. Uh, the implication, I think, though, against Medvedev right now, as it stands, is when, when they meet, it's just, okay, who's ready to physically die? Yeah. Right. Not good. <laughs> so. Not good for who? Not good for who? For for, it depends. For uh, it, it's for not Nick. good for Novak, and it's not good for the viewer, in my opinion, or at I least don't agree. me. me the I viewer. enjoy it. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Well, I get that. I get that. Stylistic thing. So, Gil, yeah, you play. You play more like a contemporary player than any of us. Um, so, when you encountered someone, someone who plays like you, but arguably better, what do you do to break up their line? When I can't finish someone and it's and I'm getting really exhausted. It's like, wow, I've got I'm, I'm I bet I know the answer. Go ahead and say the answer and then I'll tell you what I think you well, were. You write say. it down and you can reveal it like no, <laughs> I, in that case, I I decide that when I get a short ball on my forehand, then I'm gonna follow it up to the net. That's that's the decision. If I'm like I can't finish this this guy, I will just say, Okay, next time I get a short ball, instead of ripping and staying back, I'll hit an approach shot. 
That's Amy? not what I thought he was going to say. I thought he was going to say you adopt an attitude of this guy will not outlast me. Just I will not die. He thinks that that he's going to go down. This is going to be a battle of wills from the baseline. That used to be it. And now I'm out of shape, Amy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, so this gets to also how a player develops. And I think it's important for someone like Novak, let's say he wants to come to net more against someone like Medvedev because he knows that's going to help him. He needs to do that in earlier rounds of tournaments. Mm-hmm. Invest in that tactic so he can feel comfortable doing it in these other matches. And I think, mm-hmm. again, without sounding too preachy to our audience, I think that's an important thing to do as building a game, as building a playing style. It's like, okay, instead of winning a match one and one the way you know you can win the match, try to win the match another way. You know, go in the club tournament serving and volleying, whatever it is, to do something different because then you can try to, then you'll feel comfortable trotting it out in that big match. And so I'll be, it's interesting to see how Novak, again, continues to dimensionalize his game. And, yeah. Uh, There's a coach, um, you may know him, Jorge Capistani, a really well known uh, coach in um, college tennis circles and, and very good. Like he's a master pro in worldwide, whatever, whatever. Um, he has a saying that if you don't use that tactic or play that shot when it's match point of, and you're in a tournament, like if it's serve and volley or if it's backhand down the line, whatever it is, you don't have that shot. So you may hit it a million times, but if you're not using it on match point, when everything's on the line, then you don't have command of that shot. You don't have it in your arsenal. I like that. I I do think it might be worth pointing out that maybe Novak is like, look, if this were a Grand Slam final, I would have dug in and and been willing to do the the suffering necessary. But since this is a tournament that I can actually lose a match and still lift the trophy at the end. Yeah. Gil, I think that's spot on. I really, I felt that. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. nailed it. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, this was fun. Um, Two Nadal Djokovic both take losses. But again, as I just said, they're not out of it. So we will see what happens as we continue to enjoy this ATP final. That'll do it for this episode of three. We're available on all podcast platforms and greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and review on Apple. Subscribe on YouTube and leave a comment. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.